Hello to you, dear listener. Many of you, well, five, have asked how my teenage niece and I enjoyed the movie Eighth Grader. There were eight 13-year-olds, six mothers and an aunt in our party. The mums gasped in horror at the scene where the angst-ridden eighth grader in the movie searches the internet to find out how to give a blowjob. And our teenagers shrieked, sighs of relief from the grown-ups. Our eighth graders all hated the film, the mums thought it was okay, and this aunt is bored senseless with films and TV shows featuring angry teens, or ungrateful little shits as I like to call them, who hate their parents. And now for something completely wonderful. Here's my chat with advertising legend Aaron Walton. Put the kettle on, Tiago. We simply must applaud them, the chat podcast with Claire Borden. Heron Walton, thank you for chatting with me. I am honoured to be with you, Claire. Oh, thank you. You're pretty fabulous. Oh, so are you. Oh, I'm not you. as cool as you. I, and by the way, I didn't say that to get a return compliment. I actually, well, you don't yeah. have to. You don't have to. I mean, you are. I, and again, I, I'm, I want to be cautious. I don't want to be patronising, but, you know, you are the coolest man I know. Oh, so sweet. In the... In, Truly. I mean, because you, you're involved in so many levels of life and do it all so well. It's fun. Yeah. You, you, you seem to enjoy it. I kind of realized as you get older that you spend a lot of time doing things that don't bring you joy. Hmm. So you that's one of the, I think that's one of the things that you end up realizing. You, get, you know, some, I hope people realize that early because I think too many of us realize it too late and they're like why didn't I spend more time doing that or so what have you always been like that or was that something that came to you recently um I I think I've always been the type of person that's been very driven to do things um and very focused but as you get older you realize that there are other things that bring you joy that are not just about work Mm. I mean I love work and that's one of the things that I won't apologize for but but things like watching your nephews grow up mm. and doing the things that you just think well I'm just working and I'm helping and all that sort of but you realize sometimes just being present is just as important as anything else so I'm trying to find that balance but it, I, I do think that that's one of the great things that comes with age and wisdom and right and yeah. um and success I mean and success well it's financial also, success well, financial right. success but also you realize like how important it is to spend time with friends that kind of keep you grounded and no matter you know how many great things happen to you at work it's always fun to sit there and have you know one of your friends chop you down and <laughs> make you realize that well you got a sister to do that as well. I have and my I have my sister I have a husband I have all of my friends feel completely open to do that which is one, one of the reasons that I, I kind of actually like being around them so now I, I'd like to talk about advertising if I yes, may absolutely and I because it's a fascinating world and subject I think yeah. which I've not explored before so tell me a, a bit about how you got involved in advertising so my journey in advertising was not kind of the traditional way that most people start I actually started um, in marketing at Pepsi Okay. Okay, so uh, the 1983, I graduated from Babson College. I knew I wanted to work at Pepsi. Um, Why? Because you preferred it to cola? Um, well, actually, the, the truth is that's what my family drank, but that's not why I picked <laughs> it. What I realized was that Pepsi 
at the time, this was during the uh, period of time called the Cola Wars. That's what most folks Yes, made, of course. Right? Yeah. And so Pepsi was doing some really innovative, kind of groundbreaking sort of marketing initiatives. And there was a gentleman there by the name of Roger Enrico, who was at the time um, was the president of the Pepsi Bottling Group, mm. and then later went on to be the CEO of PepsiCo for good good and valid reason. He was a brilliant marketer. And um, he took a liking to me and, and was kind of a mentor for me um, before I started working there. So I always knew that you know I wanted to go there for, for the reasons that you know Roger really was very focused on connecting that brand to pop culture and the zeitgeist of what was going on. Right. And for a young you know guy coming out of college, it's, it, that was like the ideal job. Although I started as a research person. So um, my job at Pepsi really, when my first job right out of school, was um, doing analytical work. And this is prior to computers. This is me going down into the library, taking these big, huge books off the shelf and totaling up the Nielsen share and, and kind of doing old school adding and, you know, and really looking at, at market share. And then that evolved into me going on to what... Um, most brand, uh, most companies have brand groups, and, and so like think of it as a little management team for a particular brand. And I worked on Mountain Dew, which was really oh, fun. Okay. Oh my gosh, it was fun. It was it was the best. You're going for the healthy drinks. I went. Yeah, I went for all the healthy stuff. Uh, I went for all the stuff that gave you a kick. <laughs> and so, and so uh, I worked on Mountain Dew, and then they moved me into a field job um, where I was looking at all the brands regionally, and then they moved me on to the mothership, which was Pepsi. And I worked in kind of two different areas. One, I was doing the analytical work for them, but they also had really started to pave a way into the entertainment space right. and understood. Were they, were they one of the first companies to, do, to explore that? I don't know if they were the first company. I mean, the companies have kind of dabbled in it in the, in the past, but I think under Roger's leadership, they were very focused and used it as a strategic tool to help separate that brand from Coca-Cola, which was a can, major... Can I ask um, quickly, what is the difference between advertising and marketing? Sure. Um, good. Actually, really great question. So advertising, think of it as the umbrella for um, all the ways in which a consumer is touched by a brand. Um, that's marketing. I'm sorry if I said advertising. Advertising is a component to that. So advertising is one way that we connect with consumers. Right. Um, events are another way that we connect with consumers. Media is another way. Salespeople and how they react to consumers is one way. Where the product is on the shelf is another way in which um, consumers interact with a brand. All of that is advertising. All of that is, is it's marketing. It's about getting your message across. Yeah, all of that is marketing. Advertising is one slice of that pie. Right. And okay. so when I was at Pepsi, they had an in-house advertising group. And they had an agency as well. And I wanted to go work for the in-house advertising department. It was very competitive. It's really tough. There was a small group of people there, but that's something that I knew that I really wanted to do. And um, they were going to give me that position, and I couldn't do it. Why? Because what ended up happening was they decided that they wanted me to go out on the road with Michael Jackson for the Pepsi tour. And so, and I at first was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that because I was in that corporate headspace. This is where I wanted to be. Wow. And you had they, to think twice. Well, it, it was a really quick, 
quick thing. And I had already worked on a lot of tours, so I wanted to try something new. And Roger said it was only going to be for three months, um, and then they'll hold the advertising job for me. Well, as it turns out, Michael ended up flip-flopping where he was going to start touring. So I was a domestic employee, and Michael was going to start the tour internationally. And so they technically just made me an international employee for for the time, and uh, then I went back to the domestic side. But what ended up happening was that tour went for 18 months, as opposed to three months. So they couldn't hold the advertising job for me, so I just uh, continued on the tour. But by the way, oh yeah, but by the way, it goes to show sometimes even the best laid plans. I mean, you have to be open to, you know, these opportunities that may come. Say yes, yeah. And, That's and good advice for any young person well, in any field. Yeah. Say yes. Say, I mean, and I was young enough to, you know, I still had a long career ahead of me. Um, but I got to travel the world. I mean, that's how I met our mutual friends, Susie and Mel. Right. Because we were in London for his tour and, and um, got to go over and, and uh, visit with them. So... So what was he like? Um, first and Genius. foremost, he was a brilliant performer. Yeah. I'll never forget going. He rehearsed at Universal, on the Universal backlot. It was a full, full stage, full production. And I remember walking in, um, and it was one of those things where Pepsi told me on like a Tuesday that this was the assignment. And by Thursday, I moved out to California. I mean, it was like, okay, you're starting now. Well, that and, really and is I, saying I, It yes. was quick, right? It was like fast. And so... I remember walking in, and Pepsi was a relatively conservative, you know, you wear suits, and, and I remember walking out um, to meet with Michael's manager, a gentleman by the name of Frank DeLeo, and we were meeting at uh, Frank's office, which was in Michael's kind of compound, and, and I walked in with um, my boss, and we were both in suits, I mean, we were representing the company, and I remember Frank looking at me and thinking, and saying out loud, well, the first thing that's going to have to go is a suit. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Why not? That's great so for you me. you took it off three times. <laughs> three times. No. And then, um, so I just knew it was going to be a different kind of experience, right? But you had to be adaptable and you just You had did. to, you know, I, I couldn't be the suit on the road. I had to be yeah. part of my responsibilities. And so I remember walking to, into the uh, rehearsal and it was at uh, Universal and I looked up and I saw Greg Gaines, who was the musical director. A phenomenal keyboard. He, you know, was Quincy Jones' oh. protege. He's on the road with Stevie Wonder. I mean, he's that. And I thought, oh. He's the guy. This is going to be spectacular. There was Cheryl Crow. This was before she was Cheryl yeah, Crow. I mean, I she was always Cheryl Crow. Yeah, um, yeah she is, she's known to have been. His yeah, friends. and it was just this amazing group of musicians and dancers and artists and wardrobe. It was, you just knew you were going to be experiencing something different. And I remember watching Michael um, perform Billie Jean, and he was rehearsing Billie Jean, and his attention to detail and his focus on everything from the lighting cues to the, to the downbeat of the drum, all of it was so specific and had purpose and every note every lighting cue every gesture was really well thought out and I thought this is going to be something that I've never experienced and, and was I, it? oh my gosh yeah I mean beyond just the travel and the meeting of you know everyone from Princess Di to oh, wow. you, you name it I mean it was just it, it was life-changing for me and 
what, in answer to your question, he was a perfectionist on the stage. I, I don't know how, I've never seen anyone work as hard as I saw him mm-hmm. work. And by the way, and you know, the crew and everyone was really yes. just so focused on it. Um, and he did it for the purpose of giving the audience something that they would never expect or see or experience. And uh, it was it was really amazing. And then what was also amazing was the things that he did when the cameras weren't rolling, which I always found really fascinating. Part of my job um, was working with the local Pepsi um, distributors. And so beyond just doing the kind of gratuitous Here's you know a photo a photo op. We would do things like organize um, hospital visits for him to go to see kids who couldn't see the show, and you know I would work with the local Pepsi folks and Lee Salters, who was his publicist at the time, um, to really arrange those sort of things. So it was great. And, so and were, was, you, were you there when his hair caught fire at the ad? Yes. You were actually there. And so a good friend um, who happened to be his assistant. Um, Marlon Brando's son, Miko, uh, who had been working with Michael for years, is actually the one who put his hair out. And, and, uh, and So you witnessed it? Yeah, well, I was in the theater. And, right, yeah. right. But crikey, because oh, that was... theater. Because it, it wasn't studio. until later that everyone realized what a big deal it was. Yeah, I mean, because he was a, you know, he was a real trooper. I mean, he... Right, that was, that was, it, was it was shocking. Yeah, I mean, it was shocking basically. for everybody. You know? Yeah, and, uh, mostly him. Oh, yeah, certainly him. I but thought I mean, he put his hair out himself by twirling around. <laughs> no, that would have added to it. Someone actually had, All right, had it okay. down. So, um, so you didn't do it on purpose to get no, better coverage? No, that was not how we wanted to get publicity. And you mentioned um, Brand, my, um, Marlon? Marlon Brando's yeah. son. And presumably that's with that link is how you got Marlon Brando to do a Pepsi ad. Yes. Um, that ad was actually really interesting. There was a girl, um, little girl named Haley uh, Eisenberg. By getting her name right, and BBDO was the advertising agency, and they had this really interesting way of trying to um, reinforce the brand not as a commodity. So they wanted people to start asking for Pepsi as opposed to just asking for a Coke. Smart, it's really smart. And so the conceit of the spots was that this little girl would go in and she would ask for, you know, Pepsi, and then someone would try to. You know, because she's a yeah. sweet, adorable little cherub of a girl, and they try to fool her by giving her a, a Coke, and she would take on the personality of whomever it is that was going to be in the spot. And so they, they came up with this really interesting idea around this little girl going into an Italian restaurant, uh, asking for a Pepsi. You cut to a shot behind the bar, and you see the guy at the fountain pouring um, Coke into the glass, and then she drinks it, and then she starts to articulate like the godfather, like you're trying to fool me. I'm smarter than this, right? And so when they shared those boards, um, I literally asked, would you want Marlon to do this? I think it would be really interesting for him to do it. And they kind of looked at me Uh, like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I have a connection tomorrow. Let me me see if I can can ask him. So I called Miko and I said, hey, do you think your dad would be interested in doing this? And and I knew Marlon because... um, Miko's son is my godson, oh. and so I knew uh, knew those knew that family well. And his um, my godson Shane, his aunt works for us, so I kind of had a yeah. relationship with him for. And so I remember talking to Marlon about it, 
And he loved the idea. He, you know, he didn't hesitate. Because, I mean, here we are. We're talking about the greatest he, actor. The most brilliant actor think, in the world. Oh, no, it's beneath me. And he didn't. And because I think he was all, you know, what I know Did about Did you pay him a shitload of money? We paid him. He got paid very nicely. <laughs> okay. He got yeah. paid hands. He, he got... Yeah. He was he well compensated. He was, he was, but can he I was think, not. He was I've not seen the ad, it. and I'm, I yes. think we'll put a link to it because you can. It's yeah. brilliant. It still stands. It up still now. stands up because it's so, because it's a great, beautiful story. Yeah. That the execution, when you look at it, is really simple. It's not a lot of special effects. Yeah. But it's really. It always gets down with and advertising. And did sales increase? Can you oh. measure sales? Uh, you certainly can. I don't remember what because I mean, that was so long ago. Um, and in the case of. Sales, there are a lot of different reasons that sales go up and down. Traditionally, with advertising, you look at um, other things beyond sales. You look at, did the ad communicate the type of message you wanted Mm. to? How did people feel about the brand after they saw the ad? Are they more inclined to purchase it now that they saw it? So there are a lot of other measurements that you look at. Um, But Marlon, that spot was so well done. And I remember going to the recording session with him. And I went to pick him up at his house. And we drove down together to uh, the studio in Santa Monica. And normally at a recording session, it's like the engineer and, you know, the creative team. Maybe it's one of the two creative teams that worked on the spot. I, we, I walked in and there was probably 20 people because it was Marlon Brando. They knew he was going to be there. And so, and I, you know, he had to work. I mean, this wasn't just a, but he was absolutely brilliant because he's, I think he was so used to, people being in awe of who he is and what he's done and he's really a very genuine down-to-earth guy and he walked in and and I told him I went back in the car and said hey look there were a lot of people there just to just be aware when you walk in and so he walked in and there's dead silence I mean it's quiet you could hear you know whisper and the first thing he did was he asked for some playing cards and everyone kind of had that same reaction, like, huh, playing cards. And so he started doing card tricks. And I, I by the way, I didn't know he was going to do this. I didn't know what. And then it dawned on me what he was doing, which was just to get people to relax yeah. and to kind of sit back and realize. Because some people would have asked for the room to be cleared. Well, and he certainly did. Yeah. I, he went in. It was, I think he did it in, well, I think what they used was the first take. Oh. But the, he went in. It was quick. He was... You know, it was he created that character, so there was yeah. no, you know, need to study or to. He went in, he knocked it out of the ballpark, and was brilliant at it. And that, it really was. It was. Oh, it, it a, is a great it's, spot. It's a great spot. Now, which brings us on to the modern era and adverts and mm-hmm. TV. And I'm going to make a confession here because yeah. I think a lot of people. I, I record my favorite programs, or if I'm watching on. Um, Amazon Prime or Netflix, there's no yeah. adverts, and I spool through. Yeah. How, what are you, how, first of all, how do you feel about that? And secondly, what is your industry doing? As long doing? as you spool through everyone's ads except for mine, I'm fine. <laughs> just pass all theirs. Yeah. Just, but just make stop. sure you stay on my So what do I need to stop for? <laughs> um, Lexus? Lexus, you, gotta, you have to stop for. You have to stop for McDonald's. I mean, there's just... The, the reality is this, and it's a very serious, I mean, an interesting question, which is... But it must be worrying for you guys. Well... So, yes, and to some degree, and some degree it's not, because people get information on brands from a lot of different touch points. Um, And yes, people, some people are, you know, fast forwarding through some ads, 
but that only means that you have to look at a different kind of mix in the types of shows that you're buying. Um, for example, people tend not to um, speed through ads when they're looking at sporting events yeah. or news because they, yes. it's live, they want to participate. Right. Like when I was growing up, we all watched the same show at the same time on ABC or CBS or NBC. There were three, only three networks. Mm -hmm. I'm old enough to remember like the television going to a test pattern, you know? Right, yeah. And so now it's it's changed. And I think actually there are more ways for people to enjoy programming and they have to remember that a lot of the programming is paid for by advertisers. Yes. And so and there are other ways to connect your So is it what brand. Talk, let's talk about branding and product well, placement. Product placement is another That's way. A, is that the new thing? Or it, it's not so anything. new. It's gotten more and more um, prevalent in the marketing mix. And so it's been around for, for years. Hmm. Um, I think people have gotten much more sophisticated in how they do it. I think people have gotten much more sophisticated in knowing um, when it's gratuitous product placement and just, you know, a brand paying to be in a movie without any real kind of organic story uh, connecting the, the brand there. Uh, we just did a really huge product placement uh, with Lexus and the Black Panther. And there was a reason that that worked. I spotted that. Did you? Yeah, yeah. but I loved the film. I loved the film. The film was oh, a beautiful film. Gosh. It's a great story. Yeah. It's uh, so well directed, yeah. so well written, so well acted. Uh, the production is, is oh, stunning. So, I mean, but did you, were you involved in that decision? So, yeah. So, what we did was um, product placement works when your brand values are kind of aligned, right? So, if you look at Lexus in this particular um, product placement we had was with the LC, mm -hmm. which is their, you know, newest kind of beautiful, stunning coupe that they they, they LC. Just came out. It's not a very good name. LC. Yeah. Oh, LC. L not LC. LC is quite not an old-fashioned no. name. No, no, no. <laughs> Nothing old-fashioned about Lexus. Yeah. L, the letter L, the letter C. Nicely done, sir. Thank you. <laughs> I, I didn't name it, sir, but, but it was it was good. Um, so what? Uh, made a lot of sense was when you look at what the movie was about, which was this community, this country, Wakanda, which was... Goodness, kindness. Kindness in the most technically smart, advanced yeah. uh, country in the yes. world, smart, beautiful people who celebrated culture and who wanted to do great in the world, right? And then you align that with the values of Lexus and and what that brand stands for and luxury and craftsmanship and the technology. So there wasn't, yeah. there wasn't this kind of odd pairing of why that no, I car understand. It was very belonged smart. in there. But did you make that decision just on seeing the script? Or did you wait? Talking, and talking to, to because, Ryan But you Kugler could never have imagined how brilliant it was going to be. Um, could you or did you? Well, so certainly you never you know you don't get a sense until you see it in the theater and you're like oh my gosh this is just amazing um we did know because marvel was it's got an amazing team yeah. of of marketers and, and a track record that uh, they would deliver on their end in terms of the audience and in terms of the um the level and the quality of the film we had an opportunity to meet with ryan coogler and with Nate, the, the producer in that team. And first of all, Ryan Coogler, one of the nicest men. What, was he? He was the director. He was, were you, he was involved in talks with the actor. Oh, of course. He had to wow. because it's his film. And, 
and he needed to make sure okay. that the car felt right and that the so he could have said no not i'm not yeah, working, working with a lexus i mean he could i want have. a vw bug well a beetle I don't think anything no. about no. VW Bug and no, Ryan Coogler will go to, but, no, but it was it, it, yeah, it was I mean because it was a part of the story and it, it was an yeah. integral part of the it story. Was. It wasn't just and so so he would talk about, you know, how the scene was gonna work and, and you never know, obviously until the final edit. But there was a level also of trust that you have to mm -hmm. have and and the people that you're working with and, and it was by far was amazing. And by the way, you know, there was a a myriad of people and teams and agencies that all, you know, beyond our agency that really helped bring this to life. There were people working in the PR, people working in the media placement, and, and there was just this great group of people who all wanted to achieve the same thing. And the results were incredible. We saw over five billion earned media impressions from people. What does that mean? Um, that's not paid. That's people sharing the content and <gasps> and talking about it and yeah, and that's not stuff that the the company paid for. That's just how you calculate right. it. Right. Um, wow. That's we saw a huge increase in sales. We, so there were a lot of great things, and I think it happened because it was organic. It felt real. Um, it brought in a new audience for mm -hmm. Lexus, um, and it helped set the tone for where the brand is kind of headed and and so it was great so so they're it, happy they're happy everyone times. should be yeah everyone ha now you happy. mentioned um mcdonald's and i don't want to yeah. digress too much but it just reminded me of something and you can tell me if this is true someone told me or i read somewhere that um when mcdonald's introduced salads onto mm -hmm. the menu because accepting that they're not yeah. considered to be the healthiest meal uh, along with any burgers by the way nothing personal against them that even though they didn't sell a lot of salads, the fact that they could have done made people think it was more healthy and more people go in there. Well, I've not heard that, okay. but I will tell you that there are a lot of healthy options on yes, the menu, right? But and they so, did introduce, they made a big thing about introducing salads. Yeah. And, and they still have them and they've got, um, you know, there, okay. there, there, are, there are ways people can eat at McDonald's and still be healthy and bring your kids and still treat them and, okay. and all that. Well, I'm jumping the gun here yeah. because okay. I'm going to come back to advertising. Okay. But you do not look like a man who has a Big Mac for lunch every day. I, can I tell you what it, my, I, my guilty pleasure is? Mm. Big Mac, fries, and I usually have water instead mm. of uh, a soda, but. Really? Not every day, but. No. Yeah. Because. I love it. Well, no, I grew I think up with we, it. We, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's encouraging. And you drive a Lexus. And I, I drive a Lexus. By the way, I, here's what's really interesting about... So, my first new car... You always remember your first new yes. car, right? My first new car... Ford Escort, sorry. It was a Ford Escort? Yeah. Mine was a Toyota Celica GTS, mm. and it was a stick, and I didn't know how to drive a stick. <laughs> and I had to... I got the new car when I started my job at Pepsi, and I got my car on a Thursday. And I only remember this because I had a day to learn with my dad because I had to drive from Boston to uh, Connecticut. With a was, stick for the with first a stick. time. And I remember like, oh my God, I can't stall on the highway. So I kept putting it in neutral. And this is the time when 95 had a lot of parking tolls. And so I remember just like, oh God, please let me get through this parking toll without, without stalling. So I got, so I started, I had a Celica GTS and um, it was my favorite car. You know, your first new car mm. is like, you just, it's just fabulous. And then I ended up moving, progressing through the Toyota family, kind of like you would mm. want someone. And then 
my first luxury car was a Lexus ES, and then I moved on to a GS. So you, before you had them as clients? Before I had them as clients, yeah. yeah. And I think, I don't know that that is why I got, I mean, certainly knowing the brand makes a big mm. difference. Um, it was certainly one of the reasons I wanted to work with them, because I knew what they stood for, I knew the quality, I knew the craftsmanship, I knew how they treated customers, and mm. so... I wanted to be a part of that, but it's kind of funny that the yeah I've been in that family forever. So if 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 say um, another let's think of a rival off the top of our heads, Audi or BMW, yeah. say if they came to you and offered you a crap load of cash to handle their accounts, would you feel on a bound to say no, or would you still do it? No, I mean no, you wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. There, yeah, because loyalty is important. I mean, loyalty is important. I think. Um, Toyota and Lexus have treat us, treated us exceptionally well. Um, it, um, there are some brands that I probably would never work with. Not, I'm not talking about leaving one to go to. No. Um, there are some categories I, I, would, I wouldn't feel comfortable working on. Um, but, you know, this has been an incredible. Right, We've been working with Lexus now for 12, 13 years. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. and long may it continue. So if somebody, if Donald Trump Jr. came to you and said, his $50 million, can you please help my family's image, the brand, the Trump brand, would you take them on as clients? Bye, Felicia, that's what I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I could not see doing that, because my values and the values of right. this agency are not aligned with 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 what they stand I, for. I mean, I was, I was no, no, trying to be ex- clever. I know, that's an by, extreme. By, I'm trying to think of what I would that's imagine was a tough one. I mean, there must um, be a price. That... I, here's what I would say. It would be a really interesting marketing challenge. Mm. And so from that perspective, just as a curious advertiser market, but, you know, we all have our, you know, limits and we all have a set of values that guide who we are and right. what we stand for and how we want to to, to move be, through life yeah. and to be and to be perceived. And to stand That's for. not to say that the people, you know, there aren't people who might work here who don't support him. I, I don't know of any, but... Um, who do, do support Who do support him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, so I... And I wouldn't hold it. I mean, that's their... And I'm sure so. a lot of Trump supporters drive yeah, Lexus. I, yeah. But we'll move on. But I, the point I was trying to make was, was to find out if there are things that you would say no to. Yes. Yeah. And that's certain, and so like you, I wouldn't work on a cigarette. I would. Oh, I really? Could, yeah. Okay. Well, I applaud you for that. Yeah. I, I really do. And we've been approached in the past and we've said no. Okay. Now, you, you, there are three partners yes. here. And one of whom is Magic Johnson, and yeah. then your who has shares the the title of the company. Is it Corey? Corey Isaacson. Isaacson. He's do in you, our Chicago office. You take? Do you have? Is is Magic involved in the day to day choices? He's not, no. So no, he so was. You don't have to get his. Saw, he actually. It's really interesting. Um, I had worked with Magic years ago. When ironically, when I was at Pepsi, he was a um, spokesperson for Slice which is a product that we had. I don't even think it's still around. I don't around. know what Slice is. It was a... Um, Pizza. <laughs> it, no, it was a soft drink that had 10% real juice in it. So it was a slice of... A whole 10%. 10% real juice. It was big at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and he was one of the um, spokespersons for, for Slice. And we worked with him in a commercial. And so that was the first time I'd actually met him. 
and uh, I knew his chief operating officer, a woman named Kawana Brown, a brilliant woman. And I had a client or a friend who was looking to actually bring in a spokesperson. They were bringing, he worked at Cadbury Schweppes, and uh, they were looking to bring in um, all of their divisions to, to one location to talk about how they can work together and be seamless and kind of this, this you know, company of one, and this was a soft drink division, this was a confectionery division. And so he reached out to me and said, do you know anyone who could, you know, potentially be a good, you know, keynote speaker mm. for us? And I thought, oh, Magic Johnson would be perfect. He clearly understands the value of teamwork. He's an Olympian. He's, a, you know, one of the He's most Magic celebrated, Johnson you know, sports figures oh, in, yes. in, of yeah. all time. Um, and separately, he has run some really successful businesses. And... Isn't he involved with the Dodgers as well? He, yeah, he's one of the, the yeah. owners of the, the of the Dodgers. Do you and do now them the Lakers. too? We started so we, when they relaunched, we were hired. We were just supposed for a year, and we ended up staying for two years to um, relaunch their campaign. And uh, we did that in the city, so a lot of people in LA uh, saw a whole new blue, which was mm. our campaign. And and so that that's very really good. Well. Oh, thank you. Did you think of that? Uh, I personally didn't, but the, the creative team did. So uh, I'm checking my watch, Rick, even though I could speak to you for hours, but your assistant, Roy, is very, you know, has poked his head around to say... But I'm, and there's a couple of... And fair enough. But, um, but I, there are, there's one thing in particular that I want to, to raise before I lose you. is, And I want to talk about baby boomers. Yes. Now, because famously... Um, Famously isn't the right word, but anyway, it was always that you were trying to get to the 18 to 24 year old, yep. that market. Yep. And the baby boomers, which I think is, what would they be, 50 to 65 now or yep. 45, that they were poison. So well, if you had, poison. they were, they were. If you were pitching a show, which oh, I do sometimes, okay. TV, oh no, we don't want that demographic. Yep. But it is now, the, it, it's a fact, I've seen lots of reports, mm -hmm. well, four, that say that the baby boomers have more disposable income, income than any other sure. um, demographic. It, has there been a shift? And are we no longer poison? Even, I know you said that was well, the right word. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that they were ever poison. I think that, and it depends on the brand, right? So it depends, if you've got a luxury brand, you're not necessarily targeting. If you take a car, for example, yeah. that it used to be that people would stick with the same brand, which you did, funnily yeah. enough, so they'll never change. So yeah. what's the point of marketing to them? Is that still the case? No, you always you always want to appeal to potential new customers, and you've got to constantly reinvent. Mm. You constantly have to find new ways, not only to reinvent the creative message, but also people are receiving information from a variety of different ways now. So mm. how we... Um, tailor a message based on a particular medium, you know, what works on the 30 second spot on broadcast does not necessarily work in, on mobile. And so how people receive information, where they're receiving information uh, is really important. My mom still watches a lot of broadcasts and so it's really important for me to make sure I'm on broadcast. She's not on her mobile as much, right. but she's still, I mean, she's active. So I wouldn't say baby boomers aren't relevant they you know they are as relevant today as they have been in the past advertise tended to and that's one of the reasons 
I think a lot of the shows were we're looking for people 18 to 34. Yes, but that's shifted. It's, Look at some of the show. We've got Frankie and Gracie. It, We've got, I mean, there's it's, so it's many It's shifting shows. because you have so many more. Getting older. Well, it's not just getting older, well, no, the but audience there's is getting so older. many more needs for content. Yes. Because there's so many more distribution outlets that you can't. It, mm. I, I think in Hollywood, it's probably one of the best times if you were a content creator because you can develop content digitally, you can develop for broadcast, you can develop for, for net. I mean, there's just yeah. a myriad and of different also, things. And also, I was, by coincidence, I had um, dinner with a, a friend who works in advertising, and we got talking, and she's seeing a shift to advertisers, like, say, Lexus, wanting yeah. to get involved in TV making. Oh, and have that. You, we've oh, done, you've done that. that. Lexus has... Um, we Wait, actually, the movie, of course. Well, the movie, but we've actually, for television, we've uh, been nominated for an NAACP Image Award for a series called Versus and Flow, which we ran on TV One for six, seven seasons. Um, we've won an Emmy for a show, oh, wow. a Hispanic uh, show, a Latina show that we did uh, called Te Para Tres. Um, so they are getting, and by the way, that's how, t that's how television started. That's how soap operas. Soap opera, yeah, it was the soap advert. Yes, of course. They needed a way to sell their products, so they created course, these yeah. brilliant. So part of it is a pendulum yes, swimming back yeah. in the other direction. I think what is really important is that even as you're going back to some of that, and it's a mix, right? So it's not all advertiser created and driven. Um, it still has to be great, compelling television, no matter who's doing it, yeah. because if it just feels like a thirty-second commercial then people aren't going to tune in. It has to feel organic. But one of the things that I'm seeing with advertisers is that um, working with content creators help them create a show that feels organic to the placement of the commercials right. and yeah. doesn't feel out of sorts. It doesn't feel like an odd sort of um, pairing, if you will. Yeah. Um, so that presumably since you started in the biz, the biggest shift has been the the significance of social media. Is that true? Huge yeah. difference. So you've had you probably got a whole department that. Well, had. now yeah, it's really interesting. When I started, no one, uh, social media didn't even exist, right? So we, people weren't even thinking about it. Now it's usually one of the first things that advertisers talk about, and they understand the critical importance of social currency. People talking about it uh, in a way that is real for them and their advocates about whether it's a program or a product or whatever it is that they're they're involved with so it's so is your dream scenario then to have say kim kardashian driving a lexus or eating a big mac and tweeting about it or kylie Jenner? it depends and if it's if it feels that, organic and real right so would you give Alexis to somebody who I can't think of anyone who I, I sure. go to the Kardashians just, um, who like a David Beckham say sure or yeah that would yeah be, I mean that would be great because be, yeah. they would be or me uh, well Claire but you, you can take mine out whenever you need <laughs> just it's kidding. right there um, yeah if they're going to talk about it and tweet right. about it and you know share their experience with the brand there's a legitimacy a credibility that comes with someone like you know, Beckham or... Yeah. So who are or, the hot people, apart from me, who are the hot celebrities that you oh would... Influencers, that's the word. Influencers. influencers. Uh, it depends on the category. It depends. I bet they're young, aren't they? 
Not Although all. Although David Beckham's 40s, probably. Not all. I mean, there are, there are ranges of, you know, there's some uh, Lloyd Boston, who's an amazing influencer in fashion. And there are, you know, he's got a real a root in mm-hmm. kind of his expertise as a uh, fashion expert, this Bevy Smith. I mean, there were just a yeah. range of different You just that... said fashion. This is going to be my last one, and I don't yeah. want to end on this, because I'm not, this isn't a joke. This yeah. is deadly serious. You're a runway model. <laughs> Tell How us how that, that happened, and you go to the you you you're a runway model at Paris I, twice a year. Believe it or not, someone actually trusted me to wear their clothes. Well, you are. Very, well, you look it's great. Fun. It's, it, it was really odd. Always how have you oh, have. Thank you. I mean, you've always had. It's, it's true. An, an amazing sense of style. Well, I'll tell you what my husband's comment was when he found out about it. Which when I he stopped laughing. When he stopped laughing. Exactly. So the the truth is, the PR team here needed some new headshots. And if you look at any corporate headshots, for me it was, it was like a more sophisticated high school yearbook kind of mm. shot. And I just like, I can't do that again I, because it doesn't really represent who I am. So I was out with my friend, a gentleman by the name of Cal Yee, an amazing fashion photographer. And we were, we're out and I was like, Cal, could you do me a favor? I mean, I know this is like way below your pay grade. I mean, he, this is a guy who shoots for Vogue and you know, nice. just amazing. I was like, would you do me a favor and take a headshot? And he goes, oh, but absolutely fine. What are, you, what are you thinking of? And I told him what it was for. And he goes, oh, what are you thinking about wearing? And I said, I want to do something a little bit more kind of in line with kind of who I am and what I normally would. And I started describing this suit that I saw. And I was reading about Will I Am. And I was reading about Will I Am doing this partnership with this designer named Renshu. He was a Japanese designer um, based in Tokyo, but he only shows in Paris. And so, as I'm describing the suit, Cal was like, well, who's the designer? And I tell him, and he looks at me kind of odd, and he says, I know Renshu, I shoot for Renshu. And I was like, you're kidding me. I was like, I can't find this suit anywhere. Can you see if you can get the suit? So he calls Renshu, or emails Renshu. Renshu sends him the suit. We go to Cal's studio, we take, take the shot. He just literally sends the the image back and say, hey, thank you very much. I just wanted you to see my friend. You know, And Renshu emailed him back and said, oh, I like your friend very much. Would he be interested in walking my show? It's smart because you, I mean, you well, look it's hysterical, like right? a model. <laughs> so I'm, I started laughing. I was like, are you kidding me? He goes, no, he really, really wants you. So there was this pause and I was like, I got to call Andrew. And Andrew yeah. was, um, he's a director. So he was on the road. So I called him and tell him the story. And the first words out of his mouth was, oh my God, just have to make sure you're not fashion roadkill. <laughs> <laughs> so does he come with you in Paris? Occasionally he does. Yeah. I mean, he certainly did for the first. And okay, all I can tell you is that's the only image I had of myself from Sex and the City when Carrie falls yeah. and people just, and so I just became really so Zoolander, don't forget oh, Zoolander. Oh, Zoolander. And so I'm like, oh my God, I, I've never done this. Like, what is, I mean, think about it. Next yeah. time you're out, just think about everyone staring at you. Oh, horrible. And you just all become very, very self-conscious. So I worked with Cal just to get my self-confidence up. And I went and I did it. I was like, all right, that I wasn't on this. my bucket list. But I just did it. It was Paris. I love Paris. It was fat, men's fashion. I love men's fashion. And uh, so I did the show. And I, that was all I mean, it was like, it was done. And Renshu, uh, 
says to me, okay, I like your walk very much and you will do the show, the next, the next show. And so I go every January and June. We've become really good friends. We actually, um, I'm working with him now on a um, project where he's created these characters. Actually, this is one it's of them. fantastic. Um, he's created these Your characters and we want, about. thank you. Um, and it's a group of characters called Maji and Friends. And it's just this really beautiful, uh, we're going to hopefully get into an animated series. And so we're developing oh. and working on that right now. But it really did evolve into this uh, great partnership. I love um, the storytelling component to what fashion says and does and, and how that articulates. Well, it. image is important. You know, and I don't want to be um, patronizing or no. facetious when I say that you're cool, but you, you are the way you've always, I didn't even know you were in advertising for years, but you know, your glasses, your hair, your look, your, your jewelry, which is very subdued, oh, but you. classy. And you've always had it. And image is important in your business. Well, I certainly think. in the advertising well, business. In, it's, world, it's, in the world. Yeah, that you pre present well. Unquestionably, it is um, critical in advertising and um, how we present a brand um, to the world and, and how we surround that mm. brand, I think, is really important. Um, there's this great scene um, in The Devil Wears Prada where the Meryl Streep character is talking about the blue sweater and, and I love that scene because it's so it's so accurate in ways that people don't really think about it I, I don't think that deeply about it because I'm not like like so that. evil, <laughs> so evil. Um, but I do think it's part of the storytelling and the reason that I love um, to go in the shows is largely there's also something to be said about what you can learn when you're silent and my job is not, normally, I'm in charge of the production. I'm in charge of, or not just me, but the, the mm. team, right? And so I'm kind of worried about those components. Well, the, the buck does stop with you. Yeah, I mean, but I, I'll be honest with you, we have such amazing it's team members. 140 people. We're about 140 people across all the offices. Mm. We have an office in Chicago, New York, Miami, Dallas, and, and here in LA, Culver City, actually. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you total it all up. And so, I, you know, Everyone is super responsible and um, takes their job and their life and their responsibility. So what, what sort of person works in advertising? If a young person at college was coming to see you, what are you looking for for somebody to work I, I for? I think you? it depends on which part of advertising. Yeah, because there's lots of different There are different parts, right? So a lot of the younger uh, kids coming out of college tend to gravitate to a lot of the social and the digital components. Uh, not to say that's all. I mean, if you kind of are breaking it up into parts. There's also the creative um, the people who are actually sitting down with paper and pencil or laptops now mm -hmm. and, and thinking through the concepts and how that ties to the brand. There's a whole group of people who are really um, so critically important to the success of advertising, which are the strategic planners and the research folks who are going in and understanding what makes Claire tick and what is going to make her excited about um, not just watching the ad, but also connecting with the brand beyond the ad. Mm. Um, and there's a whole bunch of science that goes along with that that's married to the art, which is the creative part, and somewhere you find that great balance that um, helps tell a beautiful story. Then, you know, it's not enough just to get the story right. You've got to make sure that people see it and hear it. And so you've got an amazing media team that's out looking for new innovative ways 
to get the message out there. You've got an events team because advertising or marketing is not just about sitting and being bombarded with ads or um, just you know seeing it online. It's also interacting with them. So an event team creates this immersion uh, experience where people can go and and participate. We do it with McDonald's and a lot of the events that we're doing where people are surrounded by um, the lifestyle and the, the product and have an opportunity to experience the brand in, in really unique one-on-one -on -one ways. Um, there's PR, you know, we're reading a magazine and we see, you know, McDonald's has just donated, you know, a ton of money to the Ronald McDonald's house, which is helping. So all of that right. kind of adds to the storytelling and how we connect getting with the, the brand message across. and getting the message across. So what's your dream scenario at this stage in your life? To retire, to some, for somebody to come and buy you out yeah. or to become the biggest, most successful agency in the world? And there's still time for that. Um, can I say neither yet? I mean, yeah. here's a, here's a re the, the truth is bigger doesn't mean better, mm. right? So just being bought out, by, and certainly there are benefits to um, having more resources and being able to do new things, but sometimes that is not necessarily going to make the work better. You know, I'm 57, I guess I should start You absolutely about, don't look it. Well, thank you. You should just tell us what your secret, <laughs> that's how you make your I, fortune. I don't know, I, I think the secret is just being on planes a lot. I, I, no I way, because that's unhealthy. You must have a routine. I, well, you must I, moisturize, darling. You must I, here's do something. the deal, I do work out as much yeah. as I can. Um, which is hard because but that's not just to look good. That presumably no, that's just good. mentally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I get as much of a mental break from working out as I do a physical. Mm. You know, it's all connected, right? So, I try to eat healthy, but not all the time. I You're mean, obviously not with your I, Big Mac. I, I love a Big Mac, and I love a nice glass of wine, and and um, but I also respect people who don't. I mean, the, mm. so everything's in moderation, right? Every, yeah. And yeah. so I, I don't want to not live, and I want to make the right healthy choices for me and my family and so, so do you have a five-year plan for the business yeah in terms of the types of um accounts that we want to go so thinking of retiring is it's just not been something that i've thought about i've thought about wanting as we've gotten bigger and more successful in some of the day-to-day -day things that i normally would do i don't do anymore um i've thought about ways in which um, I can fill that time, right? And so for me, it's you know participating on the the board for the Tectonic Tectonics uh, project, which is this beautiful theater company in New York that is doing work that really is meaningful and um, socially responsible. And and so we're coming up on an anniversary for the Laramie project, which is going to be this beautiful. Um, piece that uh, was directed by the founder, Moises. And, and so I think about ways in which I can still feel connected and do things that are unique and still so play to So how do you want to be remembered? Obviously, I hope you'll be around for a very long time, but Ooh. what would you like your legacy to be? I would hope my legacy would be that I was kind to people, that I try to give people an opportunity to do things that they normally wouldn't get a chance to do. Um, so if you look at um, the folks at this agency, if you look at the people that I kind of surround myself with, I, I tell people there's this amazing um, quote from Bayard Rustin, who is a great civil rights um, 
leader. And he's actually the, the guy who was behind the March, the March on Washington, uh, Martin right, Luther King Jr.'s big big uh, I Have a Dream speech, right? Yeah. And um, he was a gay black civil rights activist before, you know, at a time when you wouldn't really talk about, I mean, you wouldn't talk about it. And he talks about, and I use it um, in business as well, he says, what every community needs is a group of angelic troublemakers. <laughs> And I love that idea because it's really about being disruptive in a really positive way that you believe is going to help move things forward. So I hope, to answer your question, I hope I live up to part of that philosophy because I do think that when we're doing things that are disruptive in a positive way, not just being disruptive to be disruptive, being disruptive to make people think broader and more inclusively, um, I think everything works out better. I love what we do at this agency because we understand how culture really matters and how you have to lean into culture and how when you do lean into culture and you celebrate the uniqueness of who we individually are and you come together to kind of share those. Sometimes it's messy, right? Sometimes we're so passionate about our experiences. We have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. We have to get comfortable with that messiness. But I can promise you what ends up happening is collectively the group rises. Collectively we end up doing things that we wouldn't have been exposed to if I was not sitting next to Claire who has a very different perspective on the world as a woman from the UK versus me being a black gay man from, you know, born in Roxbury, Massachusetts. We, we're both great people. We, we both want great things to happen. We both want to play it forward for other people. We just have to kind of figure out new and unique ways to, to do that. So, so um, Roy, thank you. He's just so sweetly and discreetly came in. I am <laughs> That's gonna Roy. Say, he, if you really want to know who yeah. really runs a place, it's oh, Roy. Of course. It's always of course. Roy. That you're right-hand man. He is. Oh, Aaron Walton, thank you for chatting with me. Claire. And you are such a stud such uh, an amazing man and you sweet. your mission you. statement for your company is the, the most we want interesting. to be the planet's most interesting, interesting agency and you're the most interesting man you're awesome thank you you thank are you. thank you can you send me the theme song just so oh, I Julius. Yeah. oh my god it's so brilliant <laughs> yeah she wrote it it just makes me happy oh, every time i hear it i'm just well, like then just my work well done. your work is obviously in your interviews always make me happy too and yeah. you look like you're having so much fun. i am i really am I'm have, I love and it. I like, love meeting people, and I love um, you know. Sh I, I I want to to be able to share talking to because I know I'm very blessed to know so many interesting and inspiring people, and I, I think it. And did people you? Don't, don't I mean, get to what hear. made you decide to do it? Do you think? Well, because I wanted to. I like interviewing. I've worked at the BBC. Yeah. I've worked at ITN. I've done a lot of interviewing, and I like writing, and I like meeting people. And so I just wanted to do it. You, sh you should be really proud. Thank you. We simply must applaud them. The Chat Podcast with Claire Fordham. Keep calm and chat on. Thanks so much, Erin. On the next episode of The Chat with Claire Fordham, my guest will be Oscar-nominated actress and poker champion, Jennifer Tilly. I know, I'm spoiling you. Until next time, keep calm and chat on. We simply must applaud them, the chat podcast with Claire Borden. Keep calm and chat on.
Chat with Claire Fordham is an M Squared production.